I'll tell you a funny story before we start. One of my first interviews was with this fellow who was a clown. He worked at Boston Children's Hospital with the kids. He was just talking about being a clown and the importance of being comfortable with failure. He would go in the rooms and he would have to do read the room really fast. What's going on and what are the dynamics and, and how's the kid feeling and how are the parents feeling? And he says you have to be comfortable with half the time you're going to misread the room. Mm. And we had this great conversation. And then we hung up and I realized I never recorded. I forgot to push record. So I had to call him back and say, well, let's embrace failure. forgot to record. So we did it again. And it was actually, I thought it was better. <laughs> oh, uh, thanks for sharing that. I mean, that's an amazing story. Like, that's why it's so important to, to be heard. It is. And being heard is sometimes you hit the mark and sometimes you don't. People just don't get it or you had an off day or whatever. But I don't know. I do know. I'm, I'm like you. I'm smart. I'm pretty. I'm charismatic. And I mess up. We are, we, I do that all the time, so don't worry yeah. about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's get rolling. Welcome to Health Hats, the podcast. I'm Danny Van Loon, a two-legged, cisgender, old white man of privilege who knows a little bit about a lot of healthcare and a lot about very little. We will listen and learn about what it takes to adjust to life's realities in the awesome circus of healthcare. Let's make some sense of all of this. Good evening. How are you? I'm good. When did you first realize health was fragile? Probably when I was diagnosed at an early age. I was under the autism spectrum. I had a therapist who had MS, multiple sclerosis. That that connection, like even you couldn't see it from the outset. I realized that he was dealing with something that was more deeper than what you can see. So that was when I realized, wow, chronic illness is very fragile, makes the human body and the human spirit very fragile. It does. Yes. So what was happening to you when you were younger and you felt like out of it and lost it seems like there must have been a time where all of a sudden you felt like, oh, man, this might help me. Yes. So what was that? So after many trials and errors, in and out of hospitals, I was diagnosed at the early age of 15, went to the hospital, the in inpatient psych ward, and that was probably the most traumatic experience in my life. 
after trying so many medications, I found one that was the solution. You did? Yes. So like when you took that medication, like you felt dramatically different from the inside. Very, yes. And it showed on my outside too. I was experiencing less symptoms. Okay. And I could live through day-to-day life. Okay. So that must have been pretty freaky to have this start to have an experience where you felt like maybe you couldn't live through life day to day. Your mom told me about that you were a pretty precocious young person that you learned really quick and that when you were in school, it was boring and and that sounded to me like like seriously annoying. I don't know what it feels like to have psychosis. Like what did what were you experiencing that you knew something is really messed up here? Oh, so it's, it all started in junior year of high school. I was only I was turning 16 the fall semester. And that's when things started going haywire. I was uh, hearing voices, auditory uh, voices, and I was seeing things like visual hallucinations. And I could not understand like what, what was happening to I didn't even know what psychosis was at the time. So I, I did not know what was happening to me. All I know is maybe I need help. Okay. And so... Was it like that you you heard voices and at first they were just voices? You were hearing something and then you realize your mom's not hearing them or other kids in school aren't hearing them. They were voices to you. It's really disconcerting. So that must have been like really lonely. I felt alone probably 90% of the time. I knew I had my parents there. They were my best allies. But I don't think they would ever know how I was feeling because they never dealt with schizophrenia. They never dealt with psychosis. I was the only, probably the only person I knew in the family that had this diagnosis. And yeah, I didn't think anyone would understand. So I did feel a little bit isolated. So did you end up going to the hospital because you were like a danger to yourself or to other people or was it for a different reason i didn't think i was going to cause any harm i just know that my parents saw that i was out of it and they had yeah. to respond they had to respond earlier you get treatment so when it comes to first episode of psychosis the earlier you get treatment the better the sooner the better that's probably what there was their mindset like my son needs treatment. Yes. Let's visit the nearest hospital and see what's going on. What I'm hearing, and again, I'm putting words in your mouth, so, you know, correct me, is that you were pretty fortunate that you had your parents. I would imagine that as a teenager, that often parents, it's just normal teenage stuff. You're breaking away from your family and there's stress. Teenagers have stress with their parents. That's just what 
being a teenager is about. And you were different. Am I right? I mean, that it that wasn't one of your stressors. I would say on the contrary, yeah. Well, that's just that's just great, isn't it? So it sounds like your parents were, as you just said, your main allies in this. And how about like other people? Did you feel like it was just them? Or did you feel like that there were other people in your life that cared about you, but knew something was wrong? Yeah, undoubtedly, there were so many, I would call them chosen family. After my second day, which I don't think I would consider them, like, they, they were supposed to be there for me. But right. I think how I got the help was visiting, it's called Johns Hopkins Bayview. It's in. It's a hospital clinic based in downtown Baltimore. And I think they actually, um, outside of my parents, I think they were my chosen family. Okay. And... So was it a matter of that you found a medication and then that medication made a major difference? It sounded like it... I'm putting words in your mouth, so correct me. (laughs) But it was important. It was necessary, but it doesn't sound like it was sufficient, that you needed more than just medication. I don't mean just medication. You needed more than medication. Is that true? Sure. And what else did you need? I needed people to understand understand me and how to treat me as an individual rather than person under this label. So mm-hmm. I definitely needed that empathy for my caretaker. Yeah. It's needed empathy. Did you have to learn different habits? Did you have to learn how to process incoming stimulus? I'm trying to, I'm just trying to get a picture because yeah. I, I know so little. I could, I could elucidate that a little bit. But I did have to change a lot. It was definitely a learning, growing process. I had to relearn like most of the basic motor skills, like writing, how to handle myself, like how to walk properly. Really? Yeah. I was cooped up at the psych ward for so long. Okay. I had no outside interaction and no outdoor experience. Okay. I was pretty much sol- solitary the whole time. Oh, man. How did re-entry go? You were saying that you were in inpatient facilities and you had lost track of how to act. Mm-hmm. Let me ask, was that because of inactivity was that because you were on drugs that were suppressing things and as you found the right drug you were then getting off the drugs that were so suppressive i saw a noticeable change 
soon as I started taking the medicine they prescribed, like antipsychotics, I saw a change, but I wouldn't call it a positive change. Yeah. I was, I had a very vivid, maybe it's vivid side effects, like very clear side effects. Of the antipsychotic medicines that you got at first. Okay. Until they found what it was that would work for you. It wasn't until I got discharged from the psych ward. That was when I first received the antipsychotic I needed. Okay. Oh, I see. Wow. So then part of your rehab sounded like it was everything, physical, mental, emotional. Other. All of it. Wow. That's a lot to go through. Okay. So what I know about you is this black box of a world where like you were in trouble and you were in the hospital, you got out of the hospital and then it's okay. You were in school. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like, so right. what was, there must've been a space there. <laughs> there was a big hiatus between coming out of the hospital and re-entering the school environment. So I was in the hospital. The first hospital stay was over three weeks. And then my parents thought I shouldn't go to school that immediately. So I tried outpatient. School. Okay. Oh, you did outpatient? So like day rehab or something where you yeah, would do day programs? Day programs. And we're looking for the right uh, therapist. Yeah. I've encountered many of them in my whole journey. I know that for me, the therapist I needed was a grief counselor. I had a son who was sick and dying. It took three times. You know what I mean? He would get recommended. I would go and and it didn't work out. I went to another one, very nice person, but really I didn't feel like I was getting anything. Then there was the third one and the third one clicked. That was 20 years ago. I still call him every once in a while because he's so good understand it takes time but you were pretty fortunate that you could try different professionals Mm -hmm. you know i guess this is something i don't know about so did you guys have good insurance so that there was a network of people or were you plugged into a system that was open to you finding the right person like how did that happen so I was under my uh, parents' insurance throughout until college. Okay. That's how we we're pretty much able to afford all that health healthcare issues. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Then now you're like into this advocacy. And when you look back on your experience, first of all, is like, again, let me like bear my ignorance, okay? So do you feel like you're in remission, that you're cured? How do you picture the, what did you tell me, schizophrenia, paranoid, whatever, Do you feel like now with the medication, like you're done with that and you're cured? 
or do you feel like it's just something you got to stay on top of? So even with the medication, I still have breakthrough symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. Can't relate to it the way you do, but I have multiple sclerosis and I'm pretty stable, but there's ups and downs. Mm -hmm. It's progressive. It's never going away. Okay. So you, this is something that you have to manage yourself. So manage your, I'm again, I'm putting words in your mouth. You're managing your energy levels, your stress, your nutrition, the people you hang out with. Are all these things like part of managing yourself? Definitely. Yeah. All these factors come into play. Like, yeah. You can't have one without the other. Now a word about our sponsor, Abridge. Record your healthcare conversations with doctors and other clinicians with Abridge. Push the big pink button and record. Read the transcripts or listen to clips when you get home. Check out the app at abridge.com. A-B-R-I-D-G-E dot com or download it on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Let me know how it went. Is there something about that experience, like your acute experience, that you would advise other young people who are going through it or helping people, whether they're clinicians or not clinicians, like what's your advice to them? What have you learned that you would share with people? I would say it's never too early to ask for help, either from a mentorship figure, a care provider, or a loved one. The sooner the better. I feel like that. That's a big one, isn't it? Yeah. People have a really hard time, I think, in my experience, asking for help. Mm -hmm. It's even, again, I'm now I'm relating my experience with a son who was dying. And people were wanting to be helpful. And and we had to work really hard to find stuff for them to do. It was stuff that we needed. People don't know what to do. And so there's there's the asking for help from people who are going to have something like your parents, your teacher, your doctor, your whatever, your therapist, your mentor, and then there's people who like care about you and they want to help, but they have no idea like what that means. Yes. Is that, do you, is that an experience you have? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like if you don't ask the right person, you won't get the same response. Okay. As somebody more qualified to help. Like, I wouldn't ask somebody that had no, no, familiarity with I asked somebody that I know that knows me well yeah yeah 
Okay. Okay, so advice. Get help early, err on the side of too early. What else? I would also say keep 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 your coping skills in your toolbox. Um, the more you use them, the more you overlearn them, the more that you can retain them. Yeah. So, so give me an example of a couple of coping skills that you've learned. One of my therapists actually gave me this coping skill called the breathing square. So basically you take a deep breath, you hold it in for three until you create a square. Okay. This is one of those grounding techniques, simple yes. grounding techniques. Yeah, that's a good one. Wow. I like that. So um, I'll read the question, but I don't know if it's the right question. So you can answer it however you like. What do you wish that healthcare professionals knew or could offer young people who experience crises? I would say I wish the healthcare professionals knew a little bit more the underlying factors behind the illness. Okay. It, For example. Whether it's environmental, meaning the surroundings, or whether it's biological, if it runs in the family. I think that's, both of those apply to my own experience. I had a paternal grandfather who was diagnosed with a bipolar disorder. Before then, I didn't think anybody in my immediate family had a severe mental illness. So that was very eye-opening. Okay. Yeah. When I talk to people who are doctors or are administrators of like inpatient psych units, the kinds of things that I hear them talk about is that there's way more need than there are resources. Mm -hmm. That there's just not enough staff or not enough time. So when I think about like issues related to time, I think about the value of people who have lived experience, who may not have a degree or a license, but they're recovery coaches or... So what's been your experience with the kinds of help you've gotten with people with a variety of backgrounds and credentials? Actually, I've had very a lot of experience. This is the reason why my support system comes from all different backgrounds. Not only where they're from, but what they're specialized in. Yeah. Okay. Now, I think your mom told me that you're now a you're a a peer mentor for young people 
Yeah, peer, peer mentor, or, uh, peer counselor. You can call it peer recovery or yeah. peer specialist. Yeah. yeah. How's that going? Since I've started this past July, I really found it something I really enjoy. I think yeah. something I could uh, reciprocate what I've learned as a, a patient into the lives of all my clients. Can you tell me a little bit about students with psychosis? You mentioned that when we first met and your mom talked about it. So Students with Psychosis is a nonprofit organization formerly known as Students with Schizophrenia. It's an international, it has an international membership base. And it's been around since the very early, but the year before the pandemic, that's when okay. it first got started. And since the pandemic, it's had a virtual outreach, meaning it's, it's accepted members with lived experience for now from, from all over the world. I became interested in this. Since I was a college student, students with psychosis, and it, so the founder, I reached out to them with an email, and and they readily accepted me into the organization. And after that, I, I knew that was my place. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And shout out to the executive board. Yeah. Persons. I am the executive board secretary. Oh, you are. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It took a while to reach that point. Def- definitely been uh, one of the highest achievements I've ever had. Yeah. So I'm honored to be part of this organization. And I can't wait uh, to see what's more, what else is to come. So when I went on the website, I think you sent me a link to it. And I looked and... It looked like they had, I'm making this up, so I could be wrong, but it was like, seemed like it was almost 24-7 services. Mm-hmm. It's like wherever you are, there's something going on. So if, you know, somebody's, again, I'm, I just extrapolated this from 10 minutes on the website, so you can correct me. That it like people seems like people are in school and of course there's just so much stress being in school, deadlines and social garbage and just whatever family stuff. And it just seems like there's something about all of that, that if you're having either a crisis or you're smelling like maybe there's a crisis coming there's something available. Is that, am I reading that right? That's correct. That's pretty impressive. Yes. So no matter the time zone, no matter the situation, so it's a a personalized and an individualized community, (sighs) meaning that we accommodate for any of your needs and you come on your own time. No No pressure to no pressure to attend all the meetings, but we like seeing new members join because yeah. that shows how prevalent uh, the issue is a- across the world. That's great. This has been wonderful. 
I have a feeling we will stay in touch and really, I value that we've met. I'm an old guy, so I'm 70 and Mm -hmm. I, I like to learn and I've learned a lot with you and I would to continue that. Thank of course, you. I would like to love, love to share more with you. I'll definitely add you to my contact list as well. Very good. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you so much. All right. All right. Appreciate everything. Thanks for okay. having me. Bye. Thanks, Danny. Bye. I spent many years working in behavioral health as an administrator, mostly leading performance improvement, quality management, and electronic health record implementation. I only provided direct care for a brief time as an aide in an inner city inpatient psychiatric ward. I decided to go to nursing school while I was working there. In my many behavioral health gigs, whenever whenever I walk through a room with people with mental health and addiction illnesses, I felt overwhelming, crippling pain. I had no filters. It freaked me out. So instead, I served those people that serve the patients. I never felt that crippling pain as a direct care clinician with people who had medical problems and comorbid behavioral health challenges. I don't know why. Our next episode will be with Erica Blair, Amika's mom. It was scary for both of us, but my goal as a parent was just to get him recovered, get him to get him help. And he was right. scared, so I wanted to help him. He right. did do everything I could to find resources, and all I did was, you know, reach out, find the resources to research and get him help. My background, I'm in technology background. I was working at FDA at the time. My focus has always been like medical technology and medical research. I'm big on looking at research, medical research and what is successful. Now for a nugget from the mind. CL coffee. I drink coffee while I'm producing podcasts, water and coffee. So let me introduce you to Jen Stone and CL Coffee Roasters. Jen wants to connect coffee drinkers with extraordinary cups of coffee. She joins coffee tasters with artisan coffee producers from around the world. I almost always drink good coffee, but Jen's coffee is remarkable and amazing, and it comes with a story. Last week, I received a sampler of coffees from Jen. One package said, process honey. My wife worried that it was processed with honey. Jen replied with, the honey process is when they take just the outer cherry skin off, but leave all the cherry pulp on the seed and let it dry. It gets all sticky and the sugars naturally ferment and impart a slightly sweeter taste than if the coffee cherry and pulp have been removed completely and only the coffee bean, the seed, 
is dried in the sun. I receive no compensation to say this. In fact, Jen and I are podcasting and entrepreneurial buddies. So check out CL Coffee. I host, write, engineer, and produce Health Hats, the podcast. Kayla Nelson provides website and social media consultation and manages dissemination. Joey Van Leeuwen supplies musical support, especially for the podcast intro and outro. I play Barry Sachs on some episodes alone or with the Lechuga Fresca Latin Band. I'm grateful to you who have the most critical roles as listeners, readers, and watchers. See the show notes, previous podcasts, and other resources through my website, www.health-hats.com and my YouTube channel, D-V-A-N-L-E-E-U. Please subscribe and contribute. If you like it, share it. See you around the block. Thank you.